Becky is the best movie I've ever seen about a 13-year-old girl battling white supremacist convicts, one of whom is played by Kevin James, in the woods behind her house. I'm Tim Malloy, and welcome to Movie Maker Interviews, where today my guests are Becky directors Jonathan Millett and Carrie Murnion. We talk about the kinds of conversations you have to have when the lead actress in your ultraviolent film, Lulu Wilson, is a child. And we reminisce about Michael Bay's The Rock and whether it was possibly good. If you like this episode, or if you don't, please consider giving to the racial justice charities we're linking to in the episode summary. And now, Jonathan Millett and Carrie Murnion, directors of Becky. Sorry, I wanted to put kind of a scary spin on that, like, Becky. And I don't think I pulled it off, but so you know what my intent was. Okay, here's the interview. So this movie, Becky, this was a bit of a mind blower. Uh, can you tell me what the pitch was for this film? Definitely. Hi, this is John. Um, the simple pitch was uh, Ultraviolet Home Alone uh, with a 13-year-old girl as the protagonist. Um, so, so that's the easy, I think, right away when you hear that, you get a good picture of, of what this is. Yeah, you really do. How did you develop the idea? Um, it was, it was kind of brought to us in a standard way, uh, in the industry where our managers and agents brought us a script. Uh, so then we, we, we responded to the original script, but, uh, had some ideas of, of how we could help develop it and, and make it something that we, we really wanted to spend, um, uh, a chunk of our time, uh, working on and then, uh, trying to get made. Um, but essentially it was that, you know, the script had the bones and the structure, um, and it had this premise of, uh, you know, essentially what we just said to you, this uh, young girl seeking revenge. Um, but we felt like we could develop that to really deliver on that. We really wanted to make sure if we we're selling it that way, that people come into the theater and are blown away by every every bit of revenge, every every moment that 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 premise promises. So that's what we did is that we pitched that to the to the producers who, who owned the script um, and then uh, turned around and worked with the writers to uh, to develop it and uh, really push it to where we thought it, it should be. And this is Carrie. And um, one of the other kind of things we really want to do is put the, uh, change the perspective to make sure that it was coming from Becky's uh, point of view mm -hmm. and kind of um, and work with that point of view in terms of how the story is told, you know, how the, how the viewer can see who what's going on and um, and how the, the characters interact with each other and. We like the idea of, you know, the since we, we start the movie with uh, with Becky telling uh, a, a sheriff and a psychologist what, what what happened to her, you know, what kind of a narrator, what kind of narrator is, is doing this? Is she is she reliable or not? And I think that's kind of a unique way to, to look at this whole this whole this whole story. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. You do something at the end that I don't want to spoil kind of um, there's kind of a MacGuffin yeah. in the movie and there's a great bit of misdirection around that MacGuffin. Um, yeah, I also feel like the MacGuffin leaves open the possibility of this being a bigger world, of there being a sequel, of there being a whole backstory. Um, is that something you had in mind, or is it just fun? We want to focus on this movie and make and feel like um, this movie should stand um, on its own. But we do feel like there's there's life before and after um, with Becky and what she what hap like we like the idea of exploring what what does violence do to her. And where yeah. does where does the story take her? And I think 
if uh, since the having the protagonist be 13 years old and, and go through what she goes through, I think we want it. We like the idea of exploring how that can change someone and what happens when she gets what she wants at the end and and then it goes with that. So I think um, it's not I think also it could be not traditional where you, you follow someone along the way of like, OK, now she kills these people. Or I think I think it's something where it's uh, it leaves that open to like what happens to her. So, um, yeah, but I think in, in terms of how we uh, kind of look at this story, we feel like this is this should um, you know, be uh, act on its own as its own kind of movie without anything else, without a sequel, if, if that if that happens. So, so I definitely want to talk about Kevin James. Um, he's getting a lot of attention for the character he's playing and how different it is from every other Kevin James movie. But first, I want to talk about the actress who plays Becky, um, Lulu, who's really really good and carries the whole thing. Um, how do you find her? First of all, how did what was that process? Yeah, we we've been big fans of her from uh, early on in her career, um, which uh, is surprising enough is only a few years because she's so young. But uh, we first saw her in uh, the Ouija sequel, uh, where she was really young and just she just blew our minds at that point um, with the way that she was just so terrifying mm-hmm. as this little girl. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. Have you seen that movie? No. Oh my God! Yeah, she's amazing. And then she's been doing a, a lot, a, a lot of other things since then. Um, she was in um, the haunt, the haunting of Hill House, or uh, is that the way you say? It? And then yeah. um, Sharp Objects, which is uh, oh yeah. You know, she's just dealing with really mature, mature subject matter, and in these these films where um, she just has to really express a wide range of emotions um so we've been following her and we kind of got her on board uh, right from the start i think uh, obviously it's a really cool role for a, a young actor her age to play um where she is b- pretty much leading it across the board and and just has a real interesting arc um but uh, all the way from that point to you know loving her performances to getting her on board to to working with her um, we were we just continued to be blown away, and um, she really, really is a special talent that I think is going to become a, a bigger and bigger star. Yeah, when you have a script like this that is really grisly in places, really violent in places, do you have to have sort of special conversations with her, with her parents, with with anyone? What sort of preparation do you have to do to sort of make sure that someone is on board for this and isn't going to be? I'm not. I don't. I don't know that anyone would get traumatized by playing a role in a movie, but just to make sure that that doesn't happen. We uh, we when we um, just as this kind of place where we could, you could tell what uh, where Lulu's head is at. Like we asked what her, one of her favorite movies is that she watched last spring um, before we started making the movie, and uh, one of her favorite movies was Midsummer. So, <laughs> and that's kind of a you know pretty crazy movie. So I think uh, she, she has the kind of mindset where she can deal with these things and. Um, and she, she actually was like, we can go farther with this. And, you know, her parents are involved. They're very kind of grounded family. They've, they've been doing this for years and very, we actually were, we shot some films in their house, inside their house. They actually kind of welcomed the whole production kind of to them. So it was kind of a nice way to kind of work with her, but yeah, Lulu can, can certainly deal with all this kind of stuff. You mean you shot some of this movie in their house? Yeah. We shot some of, uh, some insert scenes in their house. Interesting. Uh, They, um, 
the, at the beginning, yeah, the, the memories. beginning, um, the memory scenes with the mother. Um, that's actually Lulu's real mother. Hmm. Um, and then, and and we uh, filmed some of the scenes in their mother's bedroom um, at their house here in LA. I think that just goes to show you how involved. Lulu is Lulu's family is it's not yeah. like the type of thing where you know, they just dropped off a kid on set and, and hope for the best <laughs> they were they were there every day if we you know if there was anything in terms of a stunt or in terms of a gore effect or anything uh, obviously it wasn't just a conversation with a 13 year old girl who even though Lulu is very much mature beyond her years and sometimes we had to remember that that she was just a 13 year old um it wasn't it wasn't difficult because her family was right there and we could um, have that conversation uh, in the appropriate way of, you know, is yeah. is is it OK for Lulu to strap into this uh, zip line and zip line across, <laughs> a, a, you know, 100 yards and, uh, you know, ram into this guy. Um, so Lulu was always uh, game and ready to strap in. <laughs> but uh, sometimes it was important to make sure that the family <laughs> was on board as well. So there's, there's no um, you know, there's one, there's one, there's one scene where um, Lulu um, has to kind of fight a man in the woods, and it's particularly bloody. Um, and and uh, on that day, Lulu's grandmother happened to visit the set, and, and so but, so not only was her mother there, but her grandmother was there watching this whole thing. And and they they were, I mean, they loved it because they because they they know Lulu in terms of how like that she she's so easy uh, she's so able to kind of separate you know, character from life. And, you know, it, it was kind of, it was, it was really telling that, you know, Lulu had to do these very intense scenes where she's screaming and crying. And then when the, um, when the camera stops, she's able to laugh and play with the dogs and, you know, play with insects that are around the woods. And she, she kind of knows the difference between, um, work and play. Yeah. It's so important. Uh, parents who are able to teach their kids to differentiate between real life and TV life. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, a lot of us are not very good at that. <laughs> and if yeah, you can get, yeah. if you can get kids to understand, you know, what happens in a movie is a, is a movie and life is very different and you have to be completely empathetic and kind in your real life. And you can be an absolute crazy person on camera and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. It's pretty great. <laughs> um, so the other really big casting coup you got was Kevin James. Uh, how did that happen? Yeah, that was an interesting way because um, we had been talking to another uh, kind of against type actor to play that that role. We were working with Simon Pegg, um, which was really cool. We did have some development with him, and um, he's he's an amazing guy to work with. Obviously, he's written a bunch of movies, and uh, same as Kevin James. Um, but due to a scheduling conflict, he had to fall out, and we actually were talking to Kevin James to play the Jeff role which is becky's father hmm. um so when simon fell out uh kevin james said hey you know i've been reading the script i've been talking to you guys uh, and I, I think it would be really cool if i did the, hmm. the the main antagonist and it took us about uh half a second to be like hell yeah that sounds <laughs> just crazy enough to be perfect uh so we we you know we after the initial uh thought was presented we we got a little bit more um you know serious and and open up a, a dialogue with him and um he he just kind of was right right on the same page with us in terms of the tone and the way we wanted that character to be um and at that point too he had a shaved head he had a big beard 
And so, uh, you know, taking those elements of his, his kind of care, his, uh, his personality, which is like extremely charismatic, which we feel falls in line with uh, the cult leader aspects that we were, were going for, but then mirror that with this kind of new physical physicality that he brought with the way he looked now. Um, we really thought he could bring something new and dynamic to the, to the role. And um, yeah, we're, we're kind of lucky the way that those jigsaw pieces fell into place. Cause uh, sometimes they don't when you're making a movie. Yeah. The the whole cast is good, but the other person who I didn't really know anything about and was really impressed by was Robert Maylett, a former professional wrestler who is gigantic and terrifying, but has a really good character arc in the movie. The thing with that character, it was written as a a, a really tall, big, imposing dude. Um, so that limit the the pool of people you could talk to uh, <laughs> about it because there's just not a lot of really good actors that are above six five. Um, you know they're some muscly guys and there's some buff dudes and you know the the problem is for the most part they all play the the tough guys or or you know the just the like a security guard or or something like that who doesn't really have a a strong emotional arc so um in casting we were talking to a lot of people and um when we got on the skype call with him it just became clear right away that he could kind of play it in a more under understated um, a little more subtle way than a lot of the other big buff guys who were kind of more used to the the kind of wrestling, big, um, overdramatic approach to acting. Yeah. And, 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 and the character of Apex has to, he goes through a major arc um, throughout the whole um, movie where, you know, he's been, he's been kind of dominated and manipulated by Dom, by Dominic, um, the whole, t- by, you know, a lot of his, his life in prison and maybe before that and he's going through some issues about what what he's done and how how to how to how he's wrestling with that with that challenge of how he can make amends for that and you know he has him he and becky kind of mirror each other and what they go through um and and how they how they react to that so and we like the idea of of playing with who's bad and who's good yeah yeah and i actually i really like how that character resolves without spoiling anything else um mm-hmm. yeah. but it's it's it, it made me laugh <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know there's the showbiz rule that's almost a cliche of don't work with kids and don't work with animals and you work with both was that the biggest challenge or was there something else that was even more challenging and don't work at night don't work at night don't work in uh in, in don't do water shoot don't no, nothing in water it's, there's a lot going on in this in this one that we we shouldn't have done and we combined it all into one movie <laughs> what was the hardest thing oh uh, i think it was it really was everything it just really piled up on each other because the main thing is that it, it the, we kind of we've all heard what you just said and you kind of take it in the abstract of like, oh, yeah, of course, it's hard to work with a dog because the dog's not going to listen to you. And, you know, OK, kids sometimes, you know, are just uh, rambunctious. So, you know, that's going to be problematic on set. But the the real uh, problem is time. And it's like all these th- things just add a little bit more time and it all kind of cascades on itself to build to be um you know, time is your enemy on set. So if you're doing all these things that kill time uh, in terms of like making sure you're safe for the stunt, making sure the dogs have water, you know, making sure that you're following child labor laws for kids, um, 
you're just you just watch the time tick away and um that's really the problem is it, it all just kind of cascades although one of the the funny things and probably one of the the, the crazier days in terms of the dogs was uh one day we were shooting uh all day in the car and that just mm. happened to be the day that one of the dogs was in heat oh. uh so we, we spent half the day uh, trying to hide the dogs uh, trying to make love all day in, in <laughs> on camera and we also i mean to add, add to all that um you know we have a we have a, a big a big fire um uh kind of scene um in this movie and it's you know we've it's funny because in our last two movies we also had some big fire scenes with people with 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 people and, and fire and so we we kind of knew what to do but it like it's a it's a very small part in terms of running time of the movie mm-hmm. but that takes about half the day to kind of set up and you know make sure that you, you only do it, you know once or twice and you know the safety behind it so when John talks about adding time it's also about taking away time where you just have um, less time of the day to kind of do those things. And that takes planning. I mean, that's what John and I do a lot of. We we plan a lot. Um, we spend we spent uh, even time before we were we were officially in prep. You know, we were planning this movie out and working on storyboards. And you know, those things you don't always follow them um, to to the T. But what happens is you're we have a plan when you get on set. And with this with a movie like this where you're have a it was very ambitious. This is a very ambitious movie to do um, with the kind of production we had. Um, and that's. That's like we, what we like, like to do. We like to challenge ourselves and kind of take things on and 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 make all these things work together that you haven't seen. Because, as you just said, everyone tells you not to do those things. So it's very few movies that have all those things together. Like yeah. you can't think of another movie that has a young girl, uh, some two dogs, you know, a, a water stunt, some fire at night. Like that's just not seen on camera. So. Like, let's try to do that. Let's try to make that happen and so that you, we can actually see something different on screen rather than going through the things that we've seen before. Yeah, I mean, it would be The Hunger Games, but The Hunger Games has 200 times the budget, probably. And do they even have, do they have dogs? I don't think The Hunger Games do have dogs. I've, I've yeah, missed purposely. a couple Hunger Games. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if they did, and if they did, they would be CG dogs, like, like, Everything in our movie is practical. Like the everything, there's fire, there's dogs, there's water. There's nothing CG in here, and so that's that's another thing. Like you can feel everything in this because it's all it's all there. It's all real. Yeah, yeah. I re- I really appreciate well, that too. It looks it's just so much scarier. The post effects companies listening to this podcast right now and and, and uh, throwing their fist in the air at you, Carrie. We did have some C- CG augmentation, and there was a great yeah, post effects company that helped us out. So, yeah. but uh, we yeah we we really did light a guy. Yeah, it all there's really fire, there's really water, but they they helped um, make it a little bit better. But yeah. it was all it's all real. It's all really there. Yeah, uh, your last movie, um, Cooties, is also about killer kids. Why killer kids? Yeah, we're trying to figure that out ourselves. Uh, it, uh, <laughs> Do you have so, kids? <laughs> I, yeah, I, yes, I have a, I have a, a, a ten and a twelve year old. Um, so I, I know this. I know these this these guys really well. But um, I, I think it. It, it was it was less about anything conscious and it was just some something you know i think with cooties we really liked that idea of a horror comedy we had done some short films that were horror comedies and and we like just love that idea of kind of combining genres um and in a way i think it's more that uh 
I think we're kids at heart. We're, we're, um, we, we like even thinking about Lulu is that she's a 13 year old. That's way more mature than us in our forties. Um, so we're just kids at heart, I think is really what it is. <laughs> and, and flipping things. I mean, with cooties, it was, we'd seen, like you'd seen lots of, of, of zombie movies with, with adults. Okay. So now we have kids as zombies. And so that was like, that was something fun for us to think about. And same thing with this. We've seen lots of revenge movies with adults. Let's flip it. And so I think it's happened to be that, you know, kids are, are a way to, to express that um, because you want to see something that we haven't seen before. Yeah. You guys met in school, right? Yes. Yeah, we met at Parsons. Um, we, we, went, we went to art school together and we studied uh, graphic design and animation. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the movies that you bonded over or the thing? It might not even be movies, but the art that you bonded over that made you realize, hey, we have really similar sensibilities or we complement each other well. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, you know, I haven't thought about that in a while because we, we've known each other for a long time now. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a few uh, years since we went to college together. But I don't know if you remember this, Carrie, but one of the first um, times we ever hung out, we went and saw that um, Michael Bay movie where uh, um, uh, Nicolas Cage escaped. Yeah, wasn't it? It was The Rock, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, The <laughs> Rock was yeah. on air. Because you said escape, escaping is is, uh, is Con Air. Um, yeah, no, I th- think it was The Rock. I think yeah, they were yeah. breaking into the the Rock. Yeah, but I just remember we both kind of came out of there like, wow, that was pretty ridiculous. And uh, you know, you, I think you can appreciate Mike if you can appreciate Michael Bay for what Michael Bay is. I think um, you know there's there's a certain amount of skill in what he does, um, especially coming at it from a filmmaker stand- standpoint. Um, you know, the way that he handles action is, um, I think we can all joke about him and his films, but, um, I still have an appreciation for, for what he's able to accomplish. I like, I like the rock, the rock, I feel <laughs> like the rock and then uh, bad boys Two are like his two, like best move, like actually good <laughs> movies in terms of action. And he doesn't over, like, you actually can follow the plot a little bit. You can you get to know the character, you care for the people. I mean, Nicolas yeah. Cage and the rock, I mean, you yeah. you really like I felt like I and he was like a cool um, uh, protagonist because he wasn't like a traditional action hero. I think he was a scientist, right? He was a scientist that was sent in to kind of like figure out how to do these things or something. So it was uh, yeah, I like The Rock. So yeah, that's a good one to bond over. Yeah, it's been a long time since I saw The Rock, but I remember yeah. seeing it on a date, and we were both like we the part where there's a standoff <laughs> with the police. I think it's like a standoff with the military and they're going to kill somebody if they don't put their guns down. We were like mm-hmm. so emotionally involved in it. We were like, wow, yeah. this is a really good movie. This is really good. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. We were definitely yeah. moved by the rock and Connery I'm, cage. I'm I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, I'm and then, yeah. and then uh, in addition, we also, um, we bonded a lot over music videos. Mm. And during the time we were in school, it was like the, like the, the Renaissance of, um, it was Chris Cunningham, Michelle Gondry, and Spike Jones were all making these like mind-blowing movie, uh, like kind of mo- pretty much movies for artists like Bjork and Aphex Twin, and um, and so and Beastie Boys like for Sabotage. Like those yeah. those directors had a big influence on on us because they were you know all super creative. They they would they had a kind of a, like a quote unquote style, but they would switch things up enough that you you could like tell it was them, but yet it was so different each time. So like, that's kind of, I know that's kind of hard, but like they would do that. That's kind of like Spike Jones's movies. Like 
how he's, he progressed from videos to movies, like you don't, each one is so different in the theme and everything, but yet it's Spike. And I think that's what we, we love about them. And we try, you know, we try to do that with what we, with our, with our projects where we, we try to mix things up, but yet still have something that ties it all together. Yeah. I, I think we have really similar tastes because one of the other things about this movie that really blew me away was how good the music is. It's like so much oh, better yeah. than it needs to be. Um, <laughs> because sometimes like in a horror movie, not that this is like a straight horror movie, but sometimes you just have some atmospheric music and you guys really went for it. Like, how did you choose the type of music, the artists? Yeah. Um, uh, Nima, uh, is it, just, um, he took a challenge that, um, and, it, it was an impossible challenge. And the way we like to describe it is that we, we, when we're talking to the composer, we're usually giving them um, some descriptive words that are completely uh, paradoxical. <laughs> and somehow we want the composer to create an emotion or a tone based on that. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's things like, um, can you make this uh, uh, fun? but terrifying, you know, emotional, but, uh, action packed, you know, it's like, well, sure. I can say those words to you. What, you know, but like, how do you make that real in, in tangible music? And, um, for, for him, he was like, oh yeah, got it, got it. <laughs> and then he would turn around and, um, you know, I think out of probably any, anybody that we've ever worked with, he would just deliver things that just blew our mind. Um, and we, we would have very, very little comments or, or changes or tweaks. Um, but um, what we really liked about him as well is that he used um, just really strange and unique um, sounds and instruments. And he created his own instruments. He used toys. He used breathing. Uh, it was just all kinds yeah. of crazy stuff. So every time we heard something, we were just like, what the hell is that? That's awesome. More, more of that, please. Yeah, there's almost like a Friday the Thirteenth effect um, with some of the breathing, which is just so cool. It's really the first time you hear it, you're like, "Whoa, what is that?" And it just, it really works. It's really effective. Yeah, we agree. What do you want to do next, or what uh, are you doing few, next? Really, really. What are we? Uh, well, a little bit of both, because we have a few things brewing. Um, and obviously the, uh, the world is, especially Hollywood is on pause right now. Mm -hmm. Um, we got to figure out a few things of how we can get, get everybody together and, and film again. Um, and I think, um, but essentially what we we're planning to do is, is take what we've been doing, which is creating these really intense action packed, um, sometimes violent, uh, cinematically violent, uh, films and just, uh, doing that and, and taking everything we've learned from the last few films and, and taking it up a notch. Yeah. Well, you know, this movie is so cinematically violent and it's going to turn some people off um, just because of that. Do you even try to persuade people like, no, overcome that? Or you just write off a certain percentage of the audience and go, okay, you know, you're never going to buy into something where somebody's eye pops out. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I I, I, for us, it, it really is about all the movies we've made. It's very much made for a specific type of film goer. Yeah. Obviously, it'd be great if it had much broader appeal. I think we'd be, you know, stupid and and delusional to to say that we're just making a, a, a movies and we don't care about everybody 
But in the end, it's like, I know when I'm making this movie, my wife, for example, will watch it because I made it, but <laughs> it's not the type of movie she would ever seek out or want to see. You know, she hates uh, cinematic violence. And uh, I know a lot of people are like that. So um, I think, yeah, it's definitely for a specific type of audience. And I, I think th that type of audience will just eat it up and love it. Yeah, I mean, because the movies, the movies that we reference are things you know that that stick with us for a while. And I think, um, you know, movies like Old Boy, Old Boy or Green Room are intense movies that have, um, you know, people who are put in positions where they have to like get out of it and and make things happen. And, and it's intense violence because they the things that happen to them are real. And you don't you can't just punch someone and they fall down and you have to, and you move on. You have to like keep them down. You have to like keep, especially a girl keeping a, a big you know, a big guy down, she has to really like stab him a few times because yeah. he'll come back and get her. So that's, I think we didn't want to make a kind of Rambo thing where you shoot one bullet and the person stays down and then you move on. Like this has to be something where um, it's visceral and real and, and intense for people. And those movies stick with us years later. And we hope that a movie like this will stick with people years later. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Green Room because I didn't think of that when I was watching it. But now that you mention it, I think if if you like Green Room, you would definitely like this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and it's it's like it's it's someone breaking out. Like you you're, you're kind of caught in a in a small area, and you have to use the things that are in this place to get out. And I think that's where that's where Becky is as well. <laughs> 